Coming up on Stu Does America, they tried impeachment, Russia, porn stars. How's that working out for them? We look at Trump's prospects for re-election. And just like every other trip to Vegas, the Democrats all seem to be hungover and begging for us to pull the shades closed. We look ahead to the Nevada caucus. And Jason Buttrell finds somehow, somehow, a similarity between Barry Goldwater and Bernie Sanders, other than the fact that in the year 2020, they still have very similar appearances. Don't forget to write and review, uh, rate and review this podcast and click on the bell on YouTube to get notifications so you always know when the latest episode is posted. And subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. You'll save the 10 bucks with the code stew. And make sure to use the code because every time you do, a notification pops up on Glenn's phone and I refuse to tell him how to turn it off. Stew does America. Tomorrow, voters in Nevada abdicate their brothels and participate in something much more unseemly, the Democratic Caucus. I don't mean to compare brothels and Democratic politics, of course. First of all, brothels are much, much, much more entertaining, I've heard. It's a lot harder to buy somebody in a brothel. And of course, the gonorrhea rate is way higher in the Democratic Party. I mean, it's just science, people. It is. If you ever find yourself in the hotel where the DNC is happening, remember, legal sex workers are at least required to get themselves tested. Can't say that for your average Democrat. The more you know. We'll go into what happens uh, in Nevada here in just a little bit. But the question is, should you even pay attention? Should you bother? Who cares who the Democrats are nominating? And honestly, does it even matter who it is in the end? I think you should pay attention. Uh, First of all, if your team is going to the Super Bowl, you're going to want to watch the other conference championship game. Uh, You want to know who your team is playing, right? Secondly, if uh, if you're watching, this is the time. This is the time that Democrats make the mistakes that show up in Republican commercials six months from now. Why? Because they're trying to please voters that think AOC is a conservative sellout at this point. They're desperate panderers in their most desperate pandering times. They all see the chance to rule the world kind of slipping from their fingers, and they'll say or do anything to hang on. See the last few weeks of the Beto O'Rourke campaign. Whoever is going to face Trump in November is currently in a battle in which O'Rourkean tactics actually seem like a good idea, and that makes for incredible, delicious, mwah, entertainment. But does it matter who they run? Increasingly, the answer is getting closer and closer to no. Why? Donald Trump, believe it or not, is in a better position than he's been in his entire presidency. The Trump surge is real. And whether they tell you or not, the left is legitimately terrified by it. Now, look, there are a million places you can go to in conservative media that will tell you that Donald Trump is an indestructible superhero who will win in November by over 100 points. But that ain't me. I mean, I figure that, you know, you're all big boys and girls and you prefer the truth over a I don't know, an erotic feelings massage via podcast. Anything can happen in these elections when it gets down to a one-on-one battle. Trump maintains the advantages of an incumbent, which are incredibly beneficial, but he can lose this thing. He might lose it with events out of his control, like a poorly timed economic downturn, and he can absolutely still beat himself. There's a part of me that thinks he likes that. I mean, he might just actually start shooting people on Fifth Avenue just to see if he can pull it off. Then, the night before the election, he releases a dozen crocodiles painted with Trump 2020 logos at a local elementary school, and he posthumously pardons Jeffrey Epstein, and then he announces that Epstein is not actually dead, he's alive, and his new running mate, and instead of releasing crocodiles, he's decided to just release Jeffrey Epstein in the elementary school. 
Imagine the faces of the MSNBC anchors when he actually still wins by eight points. But anything can happen. So let's look at the actual evidence as we stand right now. Back in December 2017, Trump was at the low of his entire approval rating, 36.4%. Since then, Trump has seen a slow and generally steady-ish improvement. There have been some negative news cycles mixed in there, but honestly, uh, it's been going in the right direction for a while. To be clear, these numbers aren't historically great for past presidents per se, but it's also 2020 and everybody hates each other. Uh, To the point you can't walk by a nursing home without being chased down the street by violent marauding gangs of great-great-grandmas on scooters. Happened to me four times last week. So despite a deep split in the country, Trump is now at the high point of approval in his entire presidency, with the exception, of course, the honeymoon period right after inauguration. Now, the last incumbent to lose an election was George H.W. Bush in 1992. Trump's approval is significantly better than Bush at this time in his presidency. As Bush came off the approval high of the first Iraq war, which, like Guardians of the Galaxy, was way better than its sequel, he fell to 37.7%, over six points below where Trump is today. How about the prediction markets? Well, forget what you hear in the media because, you know, we'll just find out what people actually think when they're putting their money where their mouth is. This is the chart for Predictus contract for the re-election of Donald Trump. As you can see, it's going up, 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 up over the last 90 days. Despite or possibly because of impeachment, Trump is now up from just four, above 40% to a 55% chance of being elected. The economy continues to roll on, the Dow at 29,000, and unemployment at the lowest rate in a half century. By the way, for a dude that hates women so much, he's pretty bad at expressing it. The unemployment rate is actually lower for women than overall. Total sexist. Granted, with this sort of economic performance, Trump should be in a better position than 44% approval. That's partially because the media is single-minded and is is the idea they just want to destroy the man. They act as if he's the roadrunner and that he just, you know, they all just stopped at the Acme store for a bunch of anvils, which, unfortunately for them, has given them mostly similar results as the coyote. It's also because he should try and release, you know, occasionally less Epstein and crocodiles into elementary schools. I mean, just a little less frequently, Don. I mean, don't destroy yourself, please. But the biggest reason Trump is having such a moment is everyone is getting reminded what the other options are. Until now, he's been facing the equivalent of an unnamed Democrat. Until there's really a nominee, a lot of voters picture some faceless character and subconsciously fill in the opposite of whatever they don't like about Trump. It's the backup quarterback syndrome. He's the most popular guy in the stadium until he gets into the game and sucks. Until Las Vegas, that was Michael Bloomberg. And then he got in the game, fumbled twice, threw nine interceptions, and admitted he loved Nickelback during the halftime interview. The debate gave us the wonderful gift of showing all the Democrats at their absolute worst. Again, I beg of you, don't skip watching this craziness. It's way too entertaining. So who should you pick if you're a Democrat? Angry and elderly socialist, filthy old billionaire, slogan machine that beats up her employees, Native American statue that came to life just to fall on her face, guy who can't string three consecutive sentences together. How about the 14-year-old lifeguard from Indiana? They all suck. Everyone on the left knows it. They have no idea what to do at this point. They just hoped Trump would blow himself up, and it hasn't happened yet. Now, they realize that all of their options are absolutely terrible, and that's why the 538 election model shows the most likely outcome of the Democratic primary is that no one wins. Literally, no one gets the majority. 
they see a 42% chance of a contested convention, which is a slight favorite over Sanders winning at 35%. And honestly, when you look at this field, can you blame them? If you're picking a Democrat, maybe no one is the right call after all. Well, Michael Bloomberg uh, was in the debate the other night and it didn't go all that well for him. I don't know if you noticed that, Uh, but he does have an idea as to who actually won the debate. So how was your night last night? Look, the real winner in the debate last night was Donald Trump. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Mike's on on the money on that one. I think we all understand the actual winner uh, was Donald Trump. The issue, I guess, more is uh, who was the loser. Uh, and, and he's pictured he's pictured right over there. Michael Bloomberg, unfortunately for uh, Mike. I, you know, I, I think this is one of those situations where Mike thought he could deal with uh, all the other candidates like he does all of his workers. And I don't mean uh, sexually harassing them. I mean, uh, he, he just figured it's easy, right? When you're a billionaire, when you say things to people that you disagree with them, they, they just go along with you. That's what happens. And that's what probably everybody in his campaign is doing right now. Uh, And he thought he could get away with this non-disclosure thing, which did not go well for him at all. Now, there are legitimate reasons to have non-disclosure agreements. And it's one of those things where the Me Too movement and all this sort of um, fake political hype around it, not the actual issues, but the fake political hype around it is going to wind up doing real damage, not only to um, to people who are falsely accused, but also women who don't want their these incidents to be dragged out in front of the entire country. I mean, think about the, the, what, what happened in the debate with Bloomberg and Warren. Warren is saying, well, hey, negotiate these legal contracts in front of millions of people. And Mike is trying to say very poorly, well, that's not how the legal system works. You don't do that. This is, these are supposed to be private stories. Um, what people don't, of course, realize is not, not every single woman wants their case to be dragged out in front of the public so it can be um, feasted on by random politicians. And you might say, well, they don't have to release uh, themselves from the non-disclosure agreements. True. I will give you that in this particular case. That's actually true. But what does it mean going forward? The issue here is that if you are a Michael Bloomberg and you're running a business and some one of your employees does something terrible and, and the, the woman says, you know what, I don't want to press charges or maybe there's not charges, just made me uncomfortable. But the bottom line is, I don't want to I don't want to go any further in this company and I want to step away and I want to do my own thing. You know, you screwed me over and uh, let's come up with some settlement. Well, why is someone like Bloomberg or any other CEO going to agree to that scenario going forward if whenever it's important, the over uh, the um, non-disclosure just gets overturned? It's going to make it impossible for women to be able to enter into these arrangements. And whether you think that's right or not, it's not your choice. It's theirs. So if they decide they wanted to go into a non-disclosure agreement, well, I mean, it's their choice to do it. And I think if we go forward with every single time one of these things gets publicized, they get overturned, which, by the way, just happened with Bloomberg. He's come out and now said three women um, from this company can uh, violate these uh, non-disclosure agreements without penalty. You know, if that's the future, then these agreements are just going to simply go away and then everyone's going to be in public. Uh, you know, lawyers are going to be going on after clients. It's, it's going to expose um, a lot of people to things that they don't want. And, you know, look, if they want to make a, you know, a public deal about it in a big way, they could do that. But not every woman wants to do that. Not every guy who gets uh, harassed wants to do that either. 
it's one of those things where you want to step back sometimes and, and not have to deal with that in public. And that's not going to be even an option uh, going forward. Michael Bloomberg, I don't think not necessarily with the standard sort of analysis on this. I don't know that this is going to sink Bloomberg's campaign, this one debate. You know, it may. We're so close to the election uh, at this point when it comes to a lot of delegates being given away. Um, maybe it's enough to sink him. But I, I tend to think that he's going to need a couple more bad performances for him really to go away. Look at the calendar. Tomorrow is Nevada, one day away. A week from uh, tomorrow is South Carolina. So we're already through all the, the uh, four states uh, that are early in eight days. And then three days after that is Super Tuesday. When Super Tuesday ends, about 40% of the delegates in the Democratic uh, um, primary are going to be given out. That's how close we are. I mean, this thing is going to be half over in about 11 days. And we're going to have a really good sense as to where that goes. And, and playing out every scenario, with the exception of something like a, a big Biden win in Nevada or um, a Buttigieg surprise and he, he comes in second in Nevada and wins South Carolina somehow or something where a, one of these moderate candidates really steps up and se- separates themselves from the rest of the field. It's hard to see this race coming down to anything other than Bernie Sanders with a clear lead as far as the election goes. And the only firewall from Bernie Sanders being the guy who's going to spend a couple billion dollars in Michael Bloomberg. And there are enough Democrats who I think say, I don't want Bernie Sanders. He's not going to be able to beat Trump. This is a terrible idea where Bloomberg, for all of his faults, might be the type of person who can step in and get some of those middle uh, middle of the, uh, you know, middle of the area sort of voters there. Um, he's going to have to learn um, how to attract uh, black voters. Uh, and as a Democrat, that's usually pretty freaking easy. I think it was 96% of black voters voted for Barack Obama, about 92% voted for Hillary Clinton. It is one of those things that black voters, they do tend to vote Democrat in big, big, big numbers. So how is that playing out with Trump? Uh, Candace Owens is going to be on, uh, if you happen to be a Blaze TV subscriber, there's a a subscriber-only podcast that's going out with uh, Glenn. It's called the Friday Exclusive, I believe it's being called. Uh, And he has Candace Candace Owens on. Candace is, is... is a big believer in the fact that the black vote is not going to turn out for Democrats like it has uh, in the past. Um, And there's some new polling that kind of shows that to be maybe partially true. Uh, Let's look at, first of all, let's look at uh, black voters uh, that are women and and how they split up depending on who the Democrats actually run. Uh, But Joe Biden, only 6% of people would vote uh, for for Trump, 90 uh, over. I mean, this says six and 96. I think the Wall Street Journal has some addition problems. They're, they're rounding numbers like the Iowa caucus. Uh, but six percent of voters voting for Trump. Uh, Bernie Sanders, about five percent of voters would vote for Donald Trump. Uh, Klobuchar, about six percent of voters would vote for Donald Trump. And Buttigieg, only six percent. So very standard numbers when you look among female candidates, no matter what. However, when you look at male candidates, that gets totally upended. Uh, 15% of voters would vote for Trump against Joe Biden when you're talking about black men. Bernie Sanders, it's only 10%. Um, but Amy Klobuchar, 27% vote for Donald Trump. And Pete Buttigieg, once again, in dead last place in this measure, he's having real trouble with minority voters. Uh, only tw- uh, uh, 59% would vote for him. 29% would vote for Donald Trump. If if 29% of black voters, uh, even just, just black men, vote for Donald Trump, 
there's not even a point of holding the election. <laughs> I like, I mean, you don't even have to look at the rest of the results. If you just see that new number, Donald Trump doesn't have to be cleaning out his stuff from the White House. Uh, if he can win that sort of uh, percentage, if it's 15 percent, 20 percent of black voters, really, there's not much left to talk about. Uh, Donald Trump's going to win re-election pretty darn easily. Um, that is a, something that terrifies the left, as we just kind of went through in the last segment. Um, but it is something that when you look at this as a long term trend, one of the reasons why you see this sort of ridiculous woke nature out of Democrats is they look into the future and they say the demographics of this country are changing in a big way. We have much more, uh, many more uh, minority voters than we did uh, previously. Uh, Hispanic vote is going to be very, very big. We're going to see that play out in Nevada for the first time in this primary uh, season. So the idea is, okay, you get out in front of those things, right? You act super woke. You say everything that uh, every left wing um, minority activist wants to hear. You start talking about things like reparations and all this other stuff. And hopefully you lock them in for the long term. So as their demographics grow, you keep them. This is one of the reasons, of course, they like uh, illegal immigration so much, right? If you say all these things that are really positive for illegal immigrants, when they become citizens at some point in the future, and, you know, look, I mean, that's the way these things tend to go, and they're all of a sudden voting, well, they're going to remember who liked them back in the day. This is sort of the strategy. It's like they're the cre- they're like uh, basically Kevin Spacey in American Beauty. They're like, they're like you know, kind of like paying nice attention to the very young girls and waiting for them to turn just old enough that it's not super creepy. And by the way, it's always super creepy with Kevin Spacey. He's never able to avoid that, apparently. Um, I don't know if this tactic works. It's definitely what they've staked their entire party on, though. It's why they sound so ridiculous when talking about transgendered voters and, uh, you know, at some level, gay voters and all the other groups that they target and and try to figure out when they talk about like, yeah, we are very concerned about abortions for men who are pregnant. Like, where do they get this idea? Well, they figure that now there's only like three people who say they're men and are pregnant. But in the future, there's going to be like nine. And we're going to own that nine. That's the way we're going to go. So I don't know if it's going to work, but it is something that the Democrats are trying. Tomorrow in Nevada, we're going to see this play out. Right now, Bernie Sanders, a heavy favorite. There's a couple of interesting questions there. Number one, uh, Elizabeth Warren had a big debate performance. Most people praised her for his, her performance the other night. She's, she very much took on uh, you know, pretty much everybody on stage except Bernie Sanders. Tactically, a really dumb move because those are the votes you need. Um, but uh, she was able to, I think, improve her standing to maybe she can raise a bunch of money and maybe move up to the polls. Maybe she finishes second or third in Nevada. Very plausible. Uh, Another interesting one is Tom Steyer. Now, Steyer is a billionaire. He spent a fortune. I've said a few times that when I was in Nevada over uh, Christmas break, his signs are everywhere. His ads are everywhere. He's he in Nevada. Tom Steyer feels like Michael Bloomberg. If you're somewhere else in the country, his ads are ubiquitous everywhere you look. There's Tom Steyer's dopey looking face. So he could theoretically make some uh, make some inroads there. Will he be able to do enough to stay in the race past South Carolina? I don't know. He's got some good numbers there, too. He could be there. Can Klobuchar make anything of of her good showing in New Hampshire? Can Pete Buttigieg, who leads the race right now? I remind you, Pete Buttigieg is technically in first place in this race right now. If he could win Nevada or come in second or third in Nevada, even in in a strong way, maybe he stays alive. We'll have that sort of sorting out process into South Carolina where Biden is really uh, that's really his last stand. Uh, He needs to win uh, there. Will a moderate candidate come out of there? That is kind of the big question. And then if not, you will have a Bloomberg Sanders sort of race, which is a bizarre place for for us to be, because it wasn't just a good line by Pete Buttigieg in the debate. And it was a good line. Um, But it's true. 
right now, the Democrats are pretty much looking at not running a Democrat. Bernie Sanders is an independent. Michael Bloomberg has been a Republican and an independent most of the time until very recently. So it is a weird, weird field. And uh, it's a bunch of candidates that make up a party that obviously is not all that confident about their prospects or they wouldn't be acting like they are. They wouldn't be going for ridiculous impeachments and you know, every single scandal trying to turn into this big thing. Uh, and certainly they wouldn't want to be around Adam Schiff. I mean, who wants to be around Adam Schiff? There are like 14 Schiffs that don't want to be around Adam Schiff. So, I mean, if you're going, if you're going down the Schiff well, you've got to be desperate. Back in a second. Bernie Sanders has been compared to a lot of things. The old guys in the balcony on the Muppets, for example. On this show the other day, Creed Bratton from The Office and a significantly more attractive Rashida Tlaib. But there's another comparison that might be a lot more telling. Joining us to discuss is chief researcher and head writer of a TV show starring someone named Glenn Beck. He's also uh, celebrating the 25th anniversary of his gangster rap CD, JB from the Streets, available now. Welcome, Jason Buttrell. Thank you. It's a great CD, by the way. I appreciate it. I worked hard on it. You did. (laughs) So, Bernie, I think you have an interesting kind of uh, direction here, and I hadn't heard it before. Because Bernie is, you know, he is a a disruptive character in his own party, in his own movement. He's moved the Democratic Party so far to the left, it's barely even recognizable to even what it was when Barack Obama was was rising to power. Um, And this kind of reminds you of of something else from history. Absolutely no one's ever made this comparison before, I guarantee it. (laughs) But he is the grumpy communist Barry Goldwater to Mm. a T. Really? Absolutely. And I was I was actually reading on this for uh, reading up on Barry Goldwater for another show uh, for Glenn. Uh, just another random idea I was chasing. And uh, it got I, so it was already in my wheelhouse. And then a couple of days ago when we were watching the debate, I saw the entire group of candidates up there and they were like at a big giant smorgasbord. But instead of eating the food in the middle, they were eating each other. Mm. And that basically was 1964, the Republican Party. Uh, you had the Rockefeller Republicans. You had this radical, you know, radical conservative that was just insane talking about limited government. You know, the gall on that dude. Yeah. Um, That was not popular at the time. No. Um, Democrats have been, you know, in power for a while. You know, this was, you know, it was not looking good for for the right in this country at all. And it's interesting to me when comparing both Goldwater and, and, and Bernie Sanders, typically, and this might be foreboding in a way, because typically the radical in any election doesn't usually fare well too right. well. That's true. That's true. I mean, obviously Goldwater is a good example of that. Did not did not historic. do well once he got the nomination. Yeah, absolutely historic. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't remember. It was like a it was a, I think it was a record for Johnson's defeat. Well, it was in the popular vote. One of the, the biggest. Time. Yeah, at the time. I mean, one of the biggest uh, destructions basically in electoral history. Um, I mean, any other radical you can think of nowadays, like maybe even Jeremy Corbyn, that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the, actually a lot of the Bernie people were like, see, we can do it. We can win this. Look at Jeremy Corbyn. And then, you know, worked out well. And he's done. (laughs) A month later, they're like, oh, crap, maybe we should rethink that strategy a little bit. Um, But it's interesting to me. So this is this is where it might get dangerous. I'm really curious where the Democrat Party goes from here, because they've got their radical now. They've got their Barry Goldwater. 
they've got the guy that is separated. He's got the, he's the, it's the guy with the only one with ideas. They all suck. Yeah. But he's got but the he, ideas. He's an ideologue, though. And, and I don't throw that around as an insult. I, generally speaking, yeah. I think ideology is a good thing. You know, it's a collection of ideas that, that work coherently together. Mm. Uh, so many people today don't have an ideology, and that's actually a problem. Like, you should, you know, viewpoint A and viewpoint B, they don't have to always be perfectly aligned, but they should be at least generally sensible to work together. So many times now, we just be like, oh, well, I really like this thing because it's popular, and I really like this thing that is popular, and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Goldwater did have a real ideology, and, you know, I, I look back at him, generally speaking, positively. Um, but his, his candidacy had a couple of big effects. Number one, it was a massive loss for the Republicans, and it looked like we may never hear from them again. And arguably, number two, over a long period of time, up until you know, about 1980, you saw the rise of that real conservatism in a much better package that wound up changing the party in the country. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, in 1964, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard it, but a time for choosing. Mm. We would not have heard that speech from Ronald Reagan if not for that campaign. Would not have heard it. Um, and then Ronald Reagan becomes the guy that he is technically, I guess, considered he has the brand of launched modern day conservatism mm -hmm. all the way up until today. But I don't know. You could probably trace that all the way back to Barry Goldwater. I think so. I mean, I, you know, again, like it and this is the thing that's that's somewhat scary when you look at it from the Sanders perspective, because, you know, Sanders might come out and win this nomination and may, he might get destroyed by Donald Trump. He may lose a lot of states. Oh, and I think he will. You think he will? I think he gets trounced. That's why I hope he gets the nomination because I, I don't know. So this is where it gets scary. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you're thinking exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. So like Barry Goldwater, he got trounced. But then I think what was it just like a couple years later? I think the Republicans took the House back mm. already arriving this wave of, oh, my gosh, new ideas. I mean, you think about it. it I mean, Goldwater was one of the only ones that was saying, look, this uh, Civil Rights Act thing. You got some good things here, good things here, but there's a couple of things, constitutionally speaking, does not fit. Yeah. And that was very unpopular. Oh, yeah. You couldn't was, say that no. back then. No. Uh, even though Lyndon Johnson had been saying it behind the, the, the scenes oh, yeah. for a million years. Oh, for sure. Uh, he is the worst. I can't stand Lyndon Johnson. He's like my Woodrow Wilson. Oh, my gosh. The start of it. The Great Society. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, what are we? We just did a monologue on this the other day. We are $103 trillion in debt over the next 30 years because of Medicare and Social Security. He's yep. responsible for Medicare, of course. Um, and the rest of the budget, everything else combined, we're a $23 trillion surplus. Like, uh, it's just those two programs that are doing this debt thing to us. And Lyndon Johnson gets credit for them as if he's this magician. All he's doing is taking money that we don't have and spending it. Yeah, uh, I know. Absolutely. You trace back the reasons why things are so bad in the African-American community now. Trace it back to right then. I mean, and he was a massive racist, too. And yeah. a massive racist. Massive racist. But then that's where the, that's when uh, uh, the black community came so on board with Democrats. We're pretty much right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. now, I, although I think they're starting to wake up to that a little bit, saying, wait, maybe that those policies didn't do anything for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, but and this is where we talk about the scary part was because what Goldwater started and with his ideas, that radical conservatism, mm -hmm. um, which was basically just following the Constitution um, and saying it's OK. Right? Saying like it's, it's okay. saying, you know what, this is good. We yeah. can't have a limited government. We don't have to coddle everybody through their entire lives. There's like something, and it's the same thing happening with, with Bernie now. Socialism has been a thing. Republicans have tried to pin on Democrats, I believe accurately, they would argue not accurately, for 50 years or 100 years. We were trying to say, Republicans are trying to say Democrats are socialists for how long? And now the faces of their party, Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, these people are unquestionably and many times members of the Democratic Socialists of America. And now 
it's suddenly kind of feeling a little bit okay for Democrats to admit it and say that they are socialists. As Glenn has pointed out many times, taking the mask off. So what does that do? Will, will the Goldwater effect of, you know, from the 60s up until 1980, is that what we're seeing right now? Now, if I, I think that Sanders gets trounced, and it's such an easy way. He's such, he's such, so easy to combat or to, you know, to... You know, to, to get on a debate stage and he'll be able to put him down, I think, very easily because Donald Trump, all he has to say is, look, things are going great right now. You know, everything that's happening right now, the economy's doing good, you know, record unemployment across yeah. all levels. Mm -hmm. And so if you agree that that's good, this guy wants to upend that entire system. Mm -hmm. He wants to completely upend it. And then Bernie Sanders will make his case for him. He'll be like, yeah, I want to I wanna do it. He's because he's do. an ideologue and he believes yeah. it. It's not like Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Elizabeth Warren's pretty ideological, but she's not she's not willing to just go down the road. And that's why she's not winning. Mm -hmm. People love the, the energy's behind Bernie because he's willing to say, you know what? Screw you guys. Yes. Socialism it is. This capitalism thing is not working. It, and I'll tell you that from my my summer camp house. Um, but he, he will he will say it is working um, or socialism will work in a way that capitalism won't. And that connects with people because he's, he's unashamed. Yeah. In the same way, in this, this, at some level, happened with Trump, right, where he came out and said, you know what, it's, it's okay to say we shouldn't just open up the borders. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm proud. Uh, I, I'm Lee Greenwood. You know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm going to NASCAR with my big limo. I'm going to drive, drive around the, ca the track. <laughs> he, made, he made it feel like that should, isn't something you should be embarrassed about. And that, yeah. and that takes it a long way. So where does this go? Is, does Bernie get this nomination, number one? Number two, if he does, you think he's going to lose, but how sure are you of that? And number three, is this the start of a bigger movement that we see develop over the next couple of decades? So I'll try to answer all those. I think he does get the nomination, uh, which blows me away because I thought Biden could sleep his way through this. Remember, I've said yeah, that multiple times. You have, yeah. I'm right. blown away by that. I was wrong. Um, but I think he gets it. I think he gets utterly trounced in the same manner as that Goldwater did. I, I think that middle America is not voting for a socialist. So I think those ones, those people that are on the edge that could either go Democrat or they go Republican, they're like, screw that. I'm not voting for socialism. I don't like Trump, but I'm voting for him anyway because mm -hmm. it's better than the alternative. Yep. Um, so I think I think likely, I think. Right. Uh, so I think it gets destroyed. But I think that could be very bad for the Democrat Party because I think that movement picks up some headway because, again, radical ideas versus no ideas in your party I don't know. I think more people are going to be convinced over the radical ideas. Yeah. It's completely embarrassing and just ridiculous in this country. But you think about, go to another era. era. Uh, you know, you had eight years of Bush, you had four years, um, I'm sorry, eight years of Reagan and four years of Bush. Mm -hmm. You have 12 years of the Democrats just getting utterly shellacked and destroyed. And what did they do? They went to, back to the drawing board. They said, how are we getting killed? And they looked at, what are they doing? Well, the, they have all these big, you know, uh, like the cores, uh, you know, uh, funders, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, all the money that was flowing from there into mm -hmm. a lot of the think tanks like Heritage Foundation. Sure. So what do they do? They did the same thing. They created uh, Democracy Alliance, George Soros. Uh, they uh, uh, created the Center for American Progress, their think tank. And then they fed that, uh, they, their goal was to feed that policy directly into uh, Democrats, mm -hmm. right into their offices. And it was very effective for them. Then Bill Clinton comes, and then they had you know, a string of uh, victories. I think that that's what's going to happen after Bernie Sanders gets trounced. I think they're going to have a similar, uh, let's go back to the drawing board, figure out what mm. we're doing wrong. What did Donald Trump say? He said that I'm going to actually listen to you and actually do something about it. They'll probably, I mean, again, it's, I hate to say this, but, you know, uh, like Steve Bannon kind of projected was that what they're setting up and what they foresaw was right-wing populism, left-wing populism, and let them fight. Mm.
And it's a scary world. I, I mean, I, I, know. I don't like that formula at all, but I, I, I know what you mean. It does seem to be the reality, I mean, especially when you see people like Elizabeth Warren and Sanders who are out there just, you know, just doing that constantly. So let me ask you this question, because I've gone back and forth on this like 100 times now. There is a difference between Bernie Sanders and Amy Klobuchar. Okay? Yeah. Like Klobuchar is, is a liberal. She's, you know, at least Obama, maybe worse. Um, she is a left wing um, senator. But she's not Bernie Sanders. There is a legitimate difference. So I think she'd be, number one, tougher to beat than Sanders. Yeah. But number two, if she does win, the downside is not as horrible. Yeah. Right? So if you believe that uh, that sort of construct there, which one do you root for? Do you root for Klobuchar? Do you root for Sanders? Because I think Sanders is much more beatable. If you're a Democrat? I'm saying if you're a Republican, you're Jason Buttrell. You do not want uh, Bernie Sanders to be president. You don't really want Amy Klobuchar either. Who do you root for in this? Yikes. Uh, to run against Donald Trump? Yeah. Um, I Definitely Bernie Sanders. It, but, I mean, you've got to take into account the downside because I think a one-on-one election, who knows what happens? If the economy collapses in October like it did in 2008, okay. you know, Donald Trump's going to lose. No matter who's president, you're not going to have a chance. If, that, if you know, we have a, a terrible attack and the thing goes down to, to, you know, the stock market goes in half or whatever the heck the thing is, who knows with Trump, too? I mean, Trump has his own issues. Occasionally, he's a tad erratic. Uh, if he does something, if a scandal happens, God only knows what happens. The bottom line is when there's only two people available to vote for, if something happens to, with one of them, the other one wins. So you're risking a Bernie Sanders presidency or you're taking the risk out of that and you're going with a, a, maybe a, a higher percentage chance of, it, of a Klobuchar pe- uh, presidency happening, but maybe it's not as damaging. Right. I, I, well, I, Klobuchar is less scary, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing. It's so hard to tell yeah. because they really are kind of arguing over all the same crap. Yeah. They really are. And just a little minor different ways. Take, for instance, um, uh, what's her name? Hawaii. Uh, oh, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi yeah. Gabbard. Everyone is like, hey, she's the ultra moderate. She might even yeah. be a Republican. Right. I'm like, have you looked at the, where she's at on the issues? Yeah. Did you know that she turned down a position at the DNC to go be Bernie Sanders' running mate for crying out loud? Yeah, she was She was a, She was the, the state chair for, for Bernie Sanders right. uh, in, in Hawaii back in 2016. Not exactly a, a right wing uh, no. thing to do. Um, all right, Jason Buttrell, we got we got to run. We're running uh, really late. Uh, you can, of course, uh, catch Jason uh, on uh, News and Why It Matters a lot and also on Glenn's uh, program. Jason, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Oh, don't forget the CD. Buy it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a day. So, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a victim of something, something terrible, because that's a, one of her most defining uh, characteristics. Uh, she's always the victim of somebody. It's never her fault. And it's always somebody else doing all the terrible things to her. Um, you know, today, uh, it's not that she's a victim of her garbage disposal like a normal day. Today, she's a victim of her own political party. That's right. They've been super duper mean to her. You see, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez does not believe the Democratic Party is left enough. Mm, uh, they're just, and that just, that means they're cracking down on her and that's not okay. In fact, uh, the, uh, they were very upset because uh, the House Democratic campaign arm um, made them uh, very sad because they formalized a policy barring campaign vendors from conducting business 
with a primary with a primary opponent of a sitting de- Democrat. So if you if you are going to primarying somebody, uh, the Democrat uh, will not do uh, they, the party will not do business with you, and that hurts some people. They couldn't sell their T-shirts. Uh, with the socialist, you know, with the arm, the hammer and the sickle on it anymore. It wasn't selling so well, so they lost out. So she's decided to start um, an organization. She's going to be uh, endorsing an all-female slate of progressive candidates through her new political action committee. Now, of course, as you know, super PACs are evil unless they're doing the thing you want them to do, which is, of course, a very, very standard fare um, as far as that goes. Um, we have, um, I, you know, a, a list here of the people who she's endorsing. I could read them, but you're not going to know any of their names. The only one I think you want to know is um, uh, Don Bacon, because it's just a good name. I mean, uh, you know, if your name's Don Bacon, people should know who you are. He's actually the representative they're trying to get rid of. So just so you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is trying to eliminate Bacon in real life. And uh, I mean, it's not a real problem for me, but it might be for you. And I want you to know about it. Uh, So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez today, the victim of her party. And of course, as always, her intellect. To be a democratic socialist, um, you could, of course, try the brand new video game. It's like SimCity, except for democratic socialists. Uh, the game is called Democratic Socialism Simulator. Um, you can do things like tax the rich and you can nationalize Amazon, which apparently is something that people want to do in their video game time. Do we have the trailer for this? The music was so annoying. It was more annoying than actual socialism. So I'm not going to play that for you. But uh, here's what it says. It says, you are the first socialist president of the United States. I didn't really have to throw that in. Um, They go through the options, like, for example, can we overturn the Muslim ban? Should you do that? Yes or no. Having trouble connecting with Christians? Should you go visit the Pope? Ooh, that sounds interesting. Uh, No one should make money from incarcerating people. Ban uh, for-profit prisons now. Should you do that? How about investing in solar power? You can do that. Farmers get heaps of land. With a little help, we can grow ecology. It's like all these ridiculous sort of policies. It's very similar to... um, there was a game that we played a long time ago that had, uh, we did it on the air, where you have all these decisions to make, like, what do you tax? It's not just, it wasn't SimCity, it was some other thing. But now we're getting to the point where you're, you're going you're gonna to actually simulate socialism, which, you know, I don't know if anyone knows this, they've tried to simulate socialism before. Every time it ends up with a bunch of people dead. Uh, so, I mean, video games kind of fits better than in real life. Keep it in the video game world. I'm completely fine with it. Uh, but, of course, it's not only in the video game world. Elizabeth Warren is trying to bring it to us right now, and she's talking about... This is fantastic. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez brought up the Green New Deal, and people said that's way too far left. And Elizabeth Warren was like, well, I tried going really far left, and then Bernie was there. And then I tried to be the unity candidate. That was a massive failure. Then I just got mean at the debates. What if I try to outdo Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez today? That could be a way to go. Watch. Let me say on this, I not only support a Green New Deal, I don't think it goes far enough. Mm. I also have a Blue New Deal, because we got to be thinking about our oceans as <laughs> well love- that we need to protect. <laughs> I love how they actually laughed at her. I had a Blue New Deal. <laughs> Is she s- serious? A Blue New Deal? Yes, she wants our oceans to be covered. Really, a lot of these things wind up being red deals. Uh, they're not so new, but they're red. Uh, and they wind up being just another step um, from socialism until the beyond. It's interesting because, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is the only one who will actually admit he's a socialist. 
There's several socialists on stage. They all want versions of it. And one of the big complaints that they always have, even as far as Amy Klobuchar, is to say, well, yeah, I guess I'm a capitalist, but we can't do that Medicare for all thing because that can't get done. It's not realistic. Um, we have to figure out a way for it to pay for it. Not that it's just immoral and wrong. Um, it's always we just can't get it done. It's, it's too fast, too, too far, too fast. Um, I have a bigger problem with it than that. But here is uh, Elizabeth Warren, who now wants to do this big uh, green New Deal and a blue New Deal. I'm sure this is going to make her go up the charts. She has improved a little bit in the polling. She did very well uh, in the debates uh, by everybody's reviews. And she probably at this point has raised enough money uh, to justify her campaign for another short time. She also uh, is having an issue, though, trying to harvest all of this cash. Now, Elizabeth took a very strong stand early in the in the uh, election cycle when she said, I'm not I'm going to be the one I'm not going to take one dime from super PACs. You know, we just talked about the pack that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, is starting. Um, she said Elizabeth Warren says she's not going to take a dime from any super PACs. And that set her apart from the rest of the uh, the people out there uh, who were getting advertising on their behalf from various super PACs. And this principled stand. I mean, it was a huge principle. You have to understand, she, she felt this to her core, okay? Lizzie was like, I, I feel this to my core, like my Cherokee roots. And that's where she was that far down the road. Problem here is uh, she realized other people were making money on it. And she's like, well, why can't I make money too? So now she's uh, reversing her position. You said on your website that you would, and, and the word you used was disavow, any super PACs that were formed mm -hmm. to support you, right? You've talked about your grassroots yep. fundraising. Now there's a super PAC here in Nevada mm -hmm. that's actually been spending six figures uh, on your behalf. And this morning you were asked about it. You didn't uh, disavow the group. Did you change your mind on super PACs overall? So from the first day I got in this campaign, I said to anybody who runs for president, let's do this without super PACs. Let's all agree, before they've gotten into it, before people have invested money in this, let's all just agree. We will all say no super PACs. There you go. Nobody took me up on it. So uh -oh. I tried again, uh -oh. and I tried again, Wait, and happening? I tried again. You tried again. So. And what was the answer over and over and over? Not a single other candidate would agree with me. Okay, and? So I haven't changed my position. Look. If the other candidates would all say, you know, you're right, oh, let's do the primary from this point forward without super PACs, I'll lead the charge. Let's do it. Let's all disavow super PACs. Let's make this about the money that goes through our campaigns. That's what I'd like to do. But And that's what I'll keep fighting for. So, so on your website... And I know you're saying this is a matter of practicality, but on your website, it does say Elizabeth rejects the help of super PACs and would disavow any super PAC formed to support her in the Democratic primary. Yeah. You're saying that's changed. You're reversing no, that. I am not. What I'm saying is, come on, Democrats, all of us should disavow super PACs. <laughs> this is fantastic. It's basically like, well, everyone else is getting money and they're not agreeing with me. So the principle, the tightly held principle I have about funding campaigns I can't do it now because no one else is doing it with me. You know, I mean, uh, look, I everyone else. I mean, they're all robbing banks. I mean, my principle is absolutely not to rob any banks, but they're all robbing banks. So I'm going to rob a few banks. I got to fund my campaign. What am I going to do? Uh, this is as closely held as any principle that Elizabeth Warren has. Uh, and as as it typically does, just like her campaign, it will dissolve right in front of your eyes. Back in a second.
This weekend, take some time with your family, hug your kids, spend some meaningful time with them. Uh, just do it the right way, which specifically is after you would subscribe to blazetv.com slash stew using the promo code stew. You'll save 10 bucks there. You can spend that on your family if you want or subscribe for free on YouTube as well. We'll see you Monday talking about Nevada and the caucuses and what happened.